Hello and welcome to the Mindfulness for Learning podcast. If you are wanting to book in our wellbeing workshops for your setting, please go to mindfulnessforlearning.com forward slash workshops, where you'll find information on what we have to offer. You can now book in for the autumn term, which I know seems like a lifetime away, but we will get booked up quickly. We offer staff wellbeing workshops, parent coffee mornings, and several themed workshops for all ages in primary education. You can also keep up to date with what we are doing at Mindfulness for Learning on Twitter, on at m Before we begin, I want to inform our listeners that this episode does discuss anxiety and low mood. If this is something you are experiencing, please seek advice and support. I have put several helpful websites on the episode summary. This week is Men's Mental Health Week, and with Father's Day on Sunday and Father's Mental Health Day on Monday, I wanted to chat fatherhood and men's mental health. Our special guest, Adrian Bethune, founder of Teach Happy, chats to me about his own mental health journey, all the way from his preconceptions of parenthood through to managing fatherhood alongside his many current roles. And I remember almost kind of smiling or laughing to myself during this practice. And like all of my previous years of mindfulness training kind of almost flooded back. It's like I'd forgotten about them. That, you know, this situation is temporary. It's, it's not going to be around forever this this difficult like feeling slightly trapped feeling amongst many other things he is the lead curriculum designer for the oxford university press's international well-being curriculum he's the education policy co-lead at the mindfulness initiative and advisor for cambridge university's research projects into mental health in schools he has written a book called well-being in the primary classroom and co-written teacher well-being and self-care alongside dr emma kell he is a part-time teacher speaker writer and on top of all that a dad to two young children too. So here he is to talk mental health and parenthood. Please let's welcome Adrian Bethune. Hello Adrian, thank you so much for joining us on the Mindfulness for Learning podcast. Hi Sophie, thanks for having me. It's it's um, such an honour to have you on here. I know we've met in person a few times. Um, yeah. Kind of one, the first time I remember was definitely pre-parenthood because we were at a house yeah. party. <laughs> so, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, which doesn't happen much these days for several reasons. Um, but I remember you were in your teacher training year, actually, I remember, and I was teaching, oh, wow. and I was probably being quite negative about it at the time. I think I was very stressed <laughs> out. But, uh, yeah, and then the second time at a murder mystery party. But I think we, I think we yeah. were parents then and managed to get away. Um, but it's always kind of been in passing, so I feel really honoured to have this kind of sit-down chat with you, and I could probably talk to you for hours, but I won't, and um, ah. <laughs> I've got so many questions I want to ask you, um, but we're going to be focusing on parenting today and fatherhood. Um, mm-hmm. So with Father's Day coming up, what's that going to look like for you? Is it something that you kind of celebrate big in your family? What was it like when you were little? What will it look like for you on Sunday? Yeah, it's not um it's not something that we celebrate massively. Um I think growing up it was always like, oh god, it's Father's Day. <laughs> what can we what can we get? Um uh, the 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 tricky thing for me and my dad is my dad's birthday is 2 days after Father's Day. Ah. Uh... So you can't go too big on Father's Day otherwise you've got nothing left for <laughs> yeah. his birthday. So I think yeah, with with me and my boys, um, yeah. Normally, pre-COVID, we'd go out for like brunch somewhere. Yeah. Um, just yeah, we'd just go out, have something to eat. Brunch, obviously, sometimes that's easier than dinner with with 
young kids but yeah um yeah just just a little gift and just lunch or brunch to mark the occasion so yeah nothing too big but I, I always I do enjoy it yeah I look forward to it. yeah it's nice so many people as well I think for Father's and Mother's Day kind of want that uh, my partner always gives him says oh go and have time by yourself go and have some time away and I think well it's Mother's Day I'm, I'm yeah. supposed to be mothering today so it's nice when you can do something together as a family and celebrate the fact that you're a dad and yeah. um what was life like for you before becoming a dad um <clears throat> so immediately before I I was a primary school teacher um teaching at a, an inner London primary school mm. and yeah I guess I guess my my focus was obviously children so I was you know thinking a lot about their children in my class yeah and but it, it also meant that my job kind of became a bit not all consuming but it did um, play on my mind a lot because you know I didn't have that distraction or you know that focus of my own family when I got home yeah. So I'd get home and think, you know, oh, I'll get some bits ready for class tomorrow. Or I'd be on the weekend and think, oh, this would be great for a lesson. You know, so I was I was thinking a lot about teaching at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's that was the kind of what it was like, you know, le- the, the years leading up to it. Do you think um, that makes you a better teacher? If, if you, that's quite a big question, but the fact yeah. that you could put so much energy and effort into it all the time. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, yes, on one hand, I could dedicate a lot more time, energy and resources into being the best teacher I could be. And, um, and I did that. On the other hand, you know, becoming a a father, a parent, meant that my perspective on teaching changed mm. and and kind of life in general. So I would say, yeah, pre-fatherhood, I was a, I was a longer, <laughs> longer working hour teacher. Yeah. Post, post-fatherhood, I was a kind of wiser teacher. Not to say that you can't be a wise teacher without having your own kids, but yeah, it just shifted you, my whole perspective. Yeah. Yeah. What were your preconceptions of parenthood before becoming a dad? How did you view it? Um, so really good friends of mine from university became parents quite early on. And, and they I, I became godfather to their first daughter. So I guess I saw fatherhood a lot through their eyes and their experience. And they made it look really fun. Mm. And they, maybe because they were young parents, they didn't seem to let it stop them doing things. So they they were quite a sociable couple and they would often have barbecues and house parties at their house. And even when their first daughter was born, respectfully, obviously inappropriately, they still continued that. Yeah. Obviously, you know, they didn't go on to as late. But I just saw them having fun being parents and I saw them weaving their new family member into their normal life rather than drastically changing things so I kind of felt like when my time comes I would like to emulate some of their approaches to parenthood and has that been successful uh yes and no (laughs) (laughs) I think 
I think it massively depends on the temperament of your child and children. And yeah. subsequently, we've reflected that now my goddaughter is and was a completely chilled baby. Yeah. And from, I think from about eight or ten weeks, she regularly slept through the night. Oh, wow. I know, which we what subsequently exactly found that that was, you know, a complete freak and we, we didn't experience <laughs> that at all. And secondly, we, unlike my friends who were very chilled when it came to parenthood, when my wife and I had kids, we were a lot more, um, I think we were just a bit more anxious about sticking to routines. Yeah. And so we we found that we couldn't relax as much. It was, you know, and that was just, again, our temperament as parents. We weren't, you know, we're not the same people as my two good uni friends. So, mm. yeah, we. I think second second child, we definitely became more like them. Yeah. Um, just relaxed into it and just didn't stress about the stuff that we subsequently knew would just sort itself out in many ways, like sleep and eating habits and I feel I feel like I relate to to you with that I kind of the anxiety and the yeah just trying to make things work I I kind of saw my childhood where I did slot into barbecues and parties and things like that and thought oh yeah that's Mm. so lovely and like you say it was an appropriate level of kind of fun when you've got children but um yeah it definitely was a bit of a shock to the system in that way that I I just couldn't get to grips with that element of it it was yeah, a lot more stressful for me to to kind of do those things mm. you've got how old are your children now because you've got two boys Eli two boys. Eli's five and Rafe is three. Oh wow so um so kind of quite quite full-on at the moment but also coming out of the baby section now yeah so Rafe probably about four or so months ago maybe not even that start has started to regularly consistently sleep through the night oh congratulations <laughs> so, i know <clears throat> and we thought it would never happen um and part of us had just accepted that because second yeah. time round, we're like it's not worth stressing about but it is nice i don't think we feel any more energized though it's one of those <laughs> weird ones yeah uh, did eli sleep through the night um at the same age or was it he he about 18 months, he started to regularly do it. Oh, wow. So it's quite um, a lot later then, this one. Yeah. Um, but with Eli, because he was our first, oh, my goodness, those that first year and a half <laughs> in many ways. You know, when did you do you watch on a Sunday night's finish now, last night, um, SAS, Who Dares Wins? No. There's, they basically put civilians through SAS training and the the very last session is like capture and torture, where they basically <laughs> capture these people. They put headphones on them with loads of different sounds, and one of them's a crying baby, and they deprive them of sleep. Oh wow! And that is like we watch it and we think we could do that. We had eighteen months yeah. of our baby crying in the night, us getting up and down. So yeah, we we apart from the physical side, we could do the mental side of SAS yeah, training. Yeah, you should get yourselves signed up. Yeah, <laughs> I I mean yeah. For I had uh, my first slept through it three years, three months, and then my second was eighteen months. So I had the opposite, right? Which yeah, yeah which is nice. But it is always difficult, isn't it? Yeah, and hard to stay kind of mentally healthy with no sleep. It really is torture. But be- mm. before you were kind of sleep deprived, would you say that you and before you had children even were you mm. uh, mental health aware? Yes, I was 
and it's because of a period of poor mental health in my life. So I retrained to be a primary school teacher in 2010 and before that I worked in the music industry and in about 2008 um, I guess just a, a, a variety of factors kind of all happened within a short space of time that tipped me into a place of really poor mental health so I bought my first flat in London like or, or a shared ownership flat I couldn't afford a whole flat mm. um, but literally two months after that the world went into the world economic crisis and suddenly I felt oh my god I've got this mortgage is my flat worth what I paid for it etc etc what if I lose my job so I started to have those anxious thoughts feelings I fell out with a really like probably my best friend from uni that Mm. I that I lived with before moving into this flat so I fell out with like a really good friend of mine and then I broke up with my girlfriend and so I was in this new flat, which should have been like the happiest time of my life, just feeling really anxious and lonely. Mm. And, you know, that I started to like not sleep. I couldn't eat because I just felt really anxious the whole time. And I, but the weird thing was I never had a day off sick from work. Wow. For two reasons. One, because to be off sick meant being in the flat on my own, which was part right. of the the source of my you know anxiety but secondly back in 2008 so what 12 13 years ago I didn't I was I I didn't think there was a stigma about admitting that I was struggling but it didn't feel like a legitimate reason to have time off yeah and I remember having this thought which when I think about it it's like wow that really wasn't a bad place I remember thinking I don't want to I don't want anything really bad to happen to me I wasn't like I didn't have suicidal thoughts or anything like that Mm. but I remember thinking I'm so exhausted of not sleeping and going to work and just continuing I I wanted to kind of be knocked down by a car have a broken leg and then and then that was okay to be in hospital and then I could just rest Wow, that's fascinating Um, isn't it the the idea that it's physical health that we can call up and we can call in sick but I mean, do you think that would work now if we were if we kind of phoned in and said we're just feeling? I know in Australia they have mental health days, don't they, where they can call up and yeah. say, "I want to take a mental health day." How do you think that would be received now? Do you think it would be received any different? It, I think it depends. I think it depends mm. on who your line manager is and the culture of your company. It's a bit um, hit and miss. Yeah, and I'd like to think that, like, for me to be feeling like that, that was like a prolonged period of like poor sleep. Yeah. and these feelings I would like to think that um you know we'd be able to say something at work sooner to say look I'm struggling at the moment and just have those conversations and maybe be pointed in the in the direction of some decent support whereas you know people at work noticed that I was struggling but my line manager never said anything to me and I didn't say anything to him right um but yeah basically that time meant a good friend of mine suggested I go and see a counsellor which I did um I started to kind of research stress anxiety and depression so that whole period was like a massive learning curve for me about mental health and well-being right uh, which it looking back I am really actually grateful for I, I yeah. feel like I'm a stronger happier person because of that but at the time I was really yeah not in a good place yeah a, comp- a com- 
completely changed your direction as well, didn't it? If we think mm. about where you are now, it's, you know, at the time, like you say, kind of very low moment, but also the start of something huge for you. Yeah. So I know I, re- I read on your website, um, you said, so yeah, the day I met the Dalai Lama was cool, but it was nothing compared to the day I met my son, which I loved. Yeah. And wow. um, so your your child, your first child is born and yeah. you've kind of, you've gone through this, uh, this low moment beforehand. How much space mm. was there in between kind of you, you repairing and then deciding to become a father? um yeah good a good five years right um yeah five or six years and yeah do, do you know what so that blog you're referring to the Dalai Lama. Yeah. What, what's interesting is at that time so our, our son our first son was due the 10th of September yeah and I was leaving because we'd moved out of London to Hertfordshire, I was still teaching at the London school, commuting in, and obviously I needed to find a school closer to home if I was going to be a dad. Mm. So I, I had secured a job at a new school, also starting September, and I had been invited to speak at this event on stage with the Dalai Lama on the <laughs> 20th of September. So basically I had start a new job, first of September, become a dad 10th and speak on stage with the Dalai Lama on the 20th, something like that. Those were rough days. What a month. I know. And do you know what I felt? I didn't know what to feel more yeah. anxious about, you know, because I'd, I'd been at this previous school five years. I was so happy there. And if, unless I was moving, I would have stayed. Um, so I was worried about starting a new job. I was worried about being a dad and, you know, what would that be like? And I was worried about giving this big talk on mm. stage with the Dalai Lama. And you appeared on Sky News as well. And you look yeah. so calm and collected. I was just like, how on earth have you managed to kind of stay calm and, and kind Do of you know get your words out? funny about that? So literally the day before... So let's take it in, in sequence. So I, I started at this new school. Yeah. 1st September. And... Yeah, starting anywhere new, it's not a comfortable feeling. Like, all, all I kept thinking about was, like, I really miss my old school. I miss my colleagues who are my friends, and this mm. feels different. And, you know, every school think does things differently, and I didn't quite like the way some things were done. Yeah. So I'm starting this new job and thinking, mm, I don't really like this. Those, that's the background thought. Then we get to the 10th of September, no sign of our son. Um then it gets to the day before the Dalai Lama event, still no sign of our son. He's 10 days overdue now. Wow. Um, and Action for Happiness, whose event I was speaking at, said, oh, we've just had an invite to speak on Sky News. Would you like to do it? <laughs> and I said, yeah, OK. And then they're like, great, we'll get a taxi to pick you up at 5 a.m. because you need to be at the studios at 6 because it was their breakfast show. <laughs> and basically, so I didn't sleep that well that night and, and my wife was having contractions in the night or I think they were fake, you know, those Braxton Hicks practice contractions. Such timing. Exactly. So I'm in this taxi at 5am on the way to Sky Studios and I'm absolutely crapping myself about being on Sky talking about happiness and, you know, will they will they mock the topic will they not take it seriously yeah. and and kind of beating myself up like I'm giving a talk in a few hours 
with his holiness the Dalai Lama why did I agree to take this on as well yeah and and we're in this taxi and on the news a story came on about um a, a boat of migrants sinking uh, on its way to Italy and I just remember it stopping me in my tracks and just thinking like get a grip like mm. all I'm doing is about to speak about a topic I believe in which is mental health and well-being you know people are literally risking their lives to to get a better happier life yeah and you know and it just completely I was just like right I I can do this and it's not it's not a life and death situation and that just that perspective in that taxi hearing about that that sad situation just yeah, yeah it just snapped me out of snapped me out of it those moments of perspective are so important aren't they mm. and and actually having children although it's a very different um uh feel to what you're talking about here i guess you're talking about someone who is so much worse off but yeah. when when a child is born the the mm. perspective shifts completely doesn't it yeah so how was that for you what were the immediate changes when your first son finally came into the world how late yeah. was he i don't know For 14 days 14 overdue. days so you had those 14 yeah. days for the adrenaline to kind of yeah. come down and then come back up again what yeah. were the immediate changes physically and mentally um so yeah it was a it was again a bit of a whirlwind so he he my wife had to be induced because she really wanted, you know, no intervention at all, but it got to 14 days overdue and everyone was putting us under pressure to have an yeah. induction, you know, to move things on. So Sam was induced and and then, you know, Eli was born that, that night. And yeah, it was like, I've never felt a wave of love, respect, admiration for both my wife and our new son mm. you know as as that evening and then the the crazy thing is so he was born at like 9 p.m and um you know by about 11 30 midnight I was I shouldn't have been in hospital because you know I wasn't allowed to stay over so I kind of left Sam and Eli in hospital which is a scary thing to do because you're like this brand new fragile baby is anyone going to be looking after my wife you know yeah yeah I, I mean home. obviously being a woman I never well I try to empathize but that element yeah. of it I'd never thought about before the fact that you know my partner kind of left what what was he feeling when he did that mm. um yeah that's and also like just even being in the the birthing room as a as a father looking on mm. you feel so powerless like you're, you're just it's completely out of your control what is what is happening yeah. and when Eli was born actually because the induction process sped things on so quickly during labor like at one point they hit the alarm button and like five pediatric consultants rush in and so that was a scary situation and like thinking what the hell is going on yeah. um but anyway, baby comes, I have to go home and I literally wake up at five in the morning. Like I, I kind of pass out at midnight when I get home. Five in the morning, I just wake up almost as if this thought feeling like there's something not right. Right. And I look at my phone and my wife texts me to say they've taken Eli down to a special care unit. 
So again, go rush into hospital and essentially he, he couldn't regulate his body, body temperature. His temperature kept dropping. Mm. Um, and, you know, they were talking about suspected infection, potentially um, meningitis. Oh, wow. And, yeah, long story short, his his first five days and my wife were spent in hospital just having antibiotics, lumbar punctures to check, you know, markers and all of this mm. stuff. So it wasn't the most stress-free experience no um the, the the only thing i would say is that the positives were um he only spent a day in special care unit and then they're like his, his temperature stabilizing and go back up to the ward sam had you know 24-hour care from midwives and, and stuff looking after her and, and eli plus she had um, lactation consultants mm. so like people helping her with breastfeeding which you know most mothers will tell you can be really really hard yeah so there were positives the positives were by the time Sam came out of hospital she was a much more confident mum at breastfeeding mm. Eli um, and yeah so what it about was... support for you was there support for the, at the hospital for you or did you use things that you'd learned previously to help you through those five days and beyond? yeah so I used my mindfulness practice so I'd been one of the things that came out of me and my poor mental health journey was that I, I you know maybe a year or so after that I got into practicing mindfulness mm. um so I did use that practice to help me but also my wife's parents, one is a psychotherapist and the other is a um, bereavement counsellor. Wow. And I remember when they came to visit the hospital, um, both my wife and I just burst into tears when we were talking to them. Mm. And, and they're just, because of the nature of who they are and their work, they were just very good at holding that. Yeah. experience and just letting us just get essentially it was a stress relief I think we were so relieved that things were okay but up until then we were really scared yeah um so they you know they were very good and also my parents I remember calling my mum and saying mum um you know Eli's in special care and he's he can't regulate his body temperature and she was like Oh, yeah, I remember they did that with you when you were born. Oh. And I was like, what do you mean? Oh, they had to, they had to, they put you in a heated cot to warm you up. Oh. <laughs> and she was like, and the funny thing is they left it on all night and they weren't meant to. So at one point you were really hot. Oh, and God. She was just kind of talking in a really laid back, like an experienced mother kind of way. And I think yeah. that as well just chilled me out. Yeah, you kind of need that confidence, don't you? And that comfort, like you, like you say with your in-laws, just being comfortable around two people that are perhaps going through anxiety can be quite um, comforting, can't it? Mm. And yeah, having someone who's been through what you're going through, how wonderful to have that at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we had support and and we were very grateful for that. Yeah. And, and how did... Uh, how did you find your role and your place at home when you finally got to take him home? How difficult mm. was it to find what your role at home was? Um, I'm quite a proactive, kind of helpful person That's that I like to help and I like to do stuff. Mm. So I kind of found that I, I, I slipped into this natural role of 
essentially helping my wife have get whatever she needed yeah so even like the first day in hospital I went to the shops and got her a brie and grape sandwich from M&S because up until that point you know she wasn't allowed pasteurized cheese or whatever yeah yeah and so that that was my role like I was helping uh you know when Sam was doing night feeds I just made sure that in the in the nursery where she was going to feed Rafe uh, sorry that's our second Eli yeah there was like a pot of of nuts that she could eat there was water for her to drink you know so I kind of just slipped into that I'm going to do everything I need to make Sam as comfortable and happy as she can be so that, you know, she can relax into being a mum. And also just um, as much as I could, even in hospital and outside, just like had loads of skin on skin contact with Eli Mm. and yeah, would, would, would let Sam have lots of rest and just take him out for a walk or have him downstairs so yeah I, I found a kind of natural role for yeah. myself which that was... making that connection with him as well which is so lovely. yeah yeah and how did um though you know the first year in particular is quite a tough one how did mm. becoming a father impact your mental health was you know there will be positive things was there mm. anything that kind of stuck out negative or positive for you yeah I think I do remember a really clear time where so the, the Dalai Lama talk had been and gone, so that stress was out of the way. Um, <laughs> Quite the relief. Eli, yeah. Uh, Eli was around, and it was probably about maybe three months old, mm. give or take. And so I was, you know, a good, a good few months into being a teacher at this new school. And then Eli went through this phase, because it was autumn term, you know, it gets dark, and... The, I'd heard other parents talk about like this witching hour mm. where basically the sun gets dark outside and your baby just cries for seemingly no reason and you feed it, you change it and it's still just crying. Yeah. And I just remember one, this period where I just felt really unhappy and, and kind of trapped. And what I mean by that is I was going to school and, and wasn't very happy you know, you can't yeah. quite relax in the staff room or because you don't know everyone. And so I wasn't really happy at work. And sometimes when you're not happy at work, home is then your sanctuary. Mm. But I was going home where there's this crying baby that neither my wife or I could settle. My wife was stressed out from the day she'd had at home alone with our baby. And I just remember thinking home isn't a sanctuary either. And I just yeah. felt really like this... Yeah, I just feel trapped. There's no there's no escape, there's no break. Yeah. And because I was continuing my mindfulness practice and I'd actually started to reread a book called Mindfulness Finding Peace in a Frantic World. Yes. And I was um yeah, on it's sometimes life just works like this. I I just happened to be on the the section the chapter where it talks about turning towards difficulty. Mm. And there's a meditate, it's got a guided meditation CD. And it was, I was sitting down to meditate and the the guidance was bring to mind a a current difficulty, something that's troubling you, blah, blah, blah. And and it says, just place it on the workbench of your mind. So you're not analyzing it, not picking it apart, but just, just hold it in your awareness. And then it's like, kind of tune into your body and just notice, you know, any strong sensations. And I think at the heart of this practice is, 
you know, whatever's stressing you out, are there any physical sensations that go with it? Mm. And I was tuning into, yeah, maybe there was tension in the jaw, maybe kind of butterflies in the tummy. And, and then part of the practice as well is to notice if those sensations change, which they did. I, I went back to the sensation in my jaw and my jaw had loosened. I went to my tummy and that feeling had gone. And I remember almost kind of smiling or laughing to myself during this practice and like all of my previous years of mindfulness training kind of almost flooded back it's mm. like I'd forgotten about them that you know this situation is temporary it's it's not gonna be around forever this this difficult like feeling slightly trapped feeling yeah. that work is going to change that being a dad is going to change and that I can just ride this storm like I just came away thinking this is going to be okay and I think I only came away with that because I had several years under my belt of practice yeah and and also experiencing other difficult times that had changed and become better so yeah there was that that's the only kind of really clear difficult period where I just me remember feeling I'm really unhappy I felt guilty about being unhappy yeah you know, I felt guilty about feeling like this when I know Sam, my wife, was kind of finding it really hard as well. So, yeah, I think yeah. that first year as well, I think so many people feel that way because they, you know, you see it on TV or you've seen it, like you say, with families from afar, although they're friends of yours, you don't see all the bits in between that are really difficult. You just see the nice bits sometimes, especially mm. with social media. And so when you do have that hard time in that first year, it's just guilt-ridden, isn't it? When you're kind of not enjoying it. And you yeah. think, oh, I'm supposed to be enjoying it all the time. These you know, these are my children. These are supposed to make me yeah. happy. And so that's really hard to kind of contend with. Mm. But um, a nice practice kind of to recommend. And the body and mind are so connected, aren't they? And yeah. just checking in with, especially with a baby, I think it's such a physical job, with, mm. with your physicality can really help to clarify things. Mm-hmm. So... Um, what one thing have you learned since you've been doing mindfulness for many years now and 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 such a big name in the well-being world so you would have learned so much and what do you think you would have um benefited from looking back in those early days although you were kind of not new to mindfulness at the time but Mm. you've learned so much since then yeah i think something that sam and i learned uh probably a few months in that we we probably would have loved to have known right at the beginning mm. is you know thinking about going back to my friends that seem to allow their baby to just slot into their life mm. like you can do that depending on your temperament as parents and also your baby's temperament like our our baby Eli his, his sleep was not great so we were very sleep deprived and there was a book we read I can't remember the name of it now but he talks about um, adopting nighttime parenting mentality, which is essentially, and this is a mindfulness at its heart, it's basically accepting the situation as it is. Like our baby wakes up several times in the night. That That is the way it is. Yeah. So stop fighting against that. If you have a nighttime parenting mentality, then... If you're expending energy at night when normally you'd be asleep, what it means is you have to then conserve energy in the day. And that just massively changed things for us, actually. We started to, you know, 
not commit to so many plans on the weekend and I started to change how I was teaching mm. um, and I think it's such a common sense approach but it's also about giving yourself permission to to do that so everyone wants to see you when you've got a new baby you know family and friends and things like that but we were like look in order for us to stay mentally well and healthy mm -hmm. for ourselves and our baby, actually, they can just bloom and wait. Like, yeah. <laughs> the priority is we're just going to have a weekend where we will take it in turns to look after Eli. The other one can either have a sleep, maybe just go into, the, into town by themselves and just have a bit of, you know, space, alone time. But we just started to make those tweaks where... We accepted that nighttime we're going to be up and down, and daytime let's just do less in the day so we have more energy. We're conserving energy because, yeah, we're not getting as much rest at night. And, yeah. And that that yeah, it made us happier ultimately because I think we spent most of our days dreading the night and resenting. Oh yeah, that feeling. Yeah. That bedtime is coming, but it's not offering the kind of relief no. that you really want it to. It's just that feeling of dread, isn't it? I just remember yeah. it so well. And I think you can, all the things you're saying about acceptance and just kind of letting go, I think I definitely was able to do the second time round a lot easier because I knew, like you said about the temporary aspect of it, mm. I knew that it wasn't going to be like that forever. Where I think with my first and the kind of lack of sleep and everyone wanting to see the new baby and I just felt like I had to live up to all these expectations and you know, I can't not sleep forever, so I have to sort the sleep out now kind of thing, yeah. whereas you know how temporary it is. It's such an important message, I think, to new parents that this is all going to change very quickly. Mm. Mm. And then, we, and then, of course, you have going back to work, which is a lot different for many men. Still, we can share leave now, which is great, but um, I think the percentages are quite low due to men earning more quite often. So... Um, how did you kind of manage that and were you able to be at home as much as you liked? Were you able to find that balance? Yeah, so um, what I had done when moving out of my London school and moving to Hertfordshire, I basically, knowing that I was going to be a dad at the beginning of September, the thought of being a full-time teacher and a new parent was like, no, that that's not, yeah. that's not for me. <laughs> so I looked for part-time teaching roles and basically there weren't any. So, uh, so hard what, to find. Yeah. So what I did was I, I emailed the schools that were looking for full-time teachers and said, look, this is the situation. I'm looking for part-time work. Would you consider it? And only one school replied. And I didn't get exactly what I wanted. I was probably looking for three, four days a week. But what we negotiated was for autumn term, so from September to essentially January, I would work four days a week. Right. Um, so every Wednesday I had off. And that was a real lifesaver because uh, particularly with the lack of sleep. So mentally, again, I just had to get through two days of teaching, day off with the family, two days of teaching, two days off with the family. And, uh, you know, that helped me cope. And it also meant my wife knew I just have to get through two days without aid being around mm. you know in the day and then we've got a family day and then another two days and then we've got the weekend together because yeah she found it lonely at home you yeah know, the newborn can be very so, isolating yeah so that that was huge and then obviously January to July I was full-time 
but I decided, you know, after this year, I'm definitely going three days a week. And because I was already in a school, it's then much easier once you're in a job to then put a request in to say, I want to go part time. And so, yeah, ever since 2016, I've worked three days a week. It's just the right much. amount of time, isn't it? I think before you, like you said about um, kind of it consuming you, especially before having children, but it, I feel like at three days, you're kind of just about to tip that balance where mm. it consumes everything. And it's just nice where you kind of get to go home and you think, oh yeah, I'm kind of, I've got family time now and yeah. time to wind down. So that's really, really great. Do you think that future wise for you, do you think that will, that will be something that continues for a while? Do you ever see yourself in full-time teaching again? Uh, no, I don't. No, no. Um, but, but that's not, that's not about teaching. I don't, because what I do at the moment, I teach part-time and I, and I, I write and I deliver training. Yeah. Um, as a freelancer, but all of that is, I work really flexibly now. Mm. And so I wouldn't give up the flexibility because the sad thing is for, you know, part-time, full-time primary school teachers, it's not a massively flexible type of work. You physically have to be in a building to deliver a less, well, lockdown and remote learning kind of change that. <laughs> we don't but, want that again, surely. <laughs> no. Um, so, yeah, what what... What I love, like say today, I, I, I don't teach on a Monday, I, uh, I wrote a lesson plan this morning, I had a meeting face to face, I mm. then went and picked uh, my son up from preschool with my wife, we had a picnic in the park, I came home, I delivered some training, you know, yeah. I wouldn't give that up <laughs> to, yeah. to, you know, so I just feel very grateful that I've got a flexible work that allows me to do uh, and I did the school run this morning, so yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back to full time teaching because I've got it. I think I've got it too good at the moment. <laughs> There's so much richness in there, isn't there? Like when yeah. you're experiencing several different things. Do you, how important do you think it is that you continue to uh, part time teach um, to enable all of your other things to exist? Yeah, I I have enough freelance work to stop teaching as in I'm I'm mm. busy enough outside but I actually I, I enjoy teaching yeah. so I don't want to give that up I I would really miss working with children every week um I also think it helps me just remain in touch with the challenges that most teachers and school leaders face yeah and so that you know the training I'm doing or the writing I'm doing is is relevant to them yeah um but again I've 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 got a very, very part-time job in a school, which allows me to do everything else. I'm not responsible for a class. I'm doing PPA cover. Um, so yeah, I've, I've, yeah. I, I've, You've found I've, the perfect, the perfect yeah. balance. We don't want to upset it. No. <laughs> Keep things as is. Yeah. Um, how is the world um, for a father now? You know, what difficulties do you face? The modern father kind of is very different to what our dads will have experienced. Has it improved, do you think? I think, uh, yeah, I think in many ways, like I see more dads out pushing their babies and toddlers mm. in pushchairs by themselves, you know, taking their kids. And that never happened when I was little. Like my dad was the main breadwinner. He, 
worked long hours. I didn't see him much when I was little. You know, he never took me and my brother or me out just, you know, yeah. for a walk in the stroller. So that's massively changed. Um, and so, yeah, that's a really positive that I think more dads are spending time with their kids. Um, I'd say a negative <clears throat> is, or a challenge, is like knowing what role you should be fulfilling. Mm. So, you know, stereotypically, dads used to be main breadwinner. It was really, really clear what your role was. Go to work, earn the money, pay for the mortgage and the food, you know, yeah. look after your family that way. And now it's like, okay, I should I should work, but not too much. I need to be there for my family. But, you know, it's mm. it's it's tricky to know what 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 you should be doing and how much so yeah. for example my wife and I had agreed that we would both share childcare when our first child was born and we both went back to work three days a week and my parents looked after our son when when we were both at work and that's how it has been and then until we had our second son and my wife took a longer period of maternity maternity and then took voluntary redundancy right then lockdown happened and work around mental health and well-being got really busy. Mm. So I essentially became really busy work-wise and Sam was at home full-time with the kids, either homeschooling or... And like the, the trouble is now, like Sam, with both boys going back to school, um, Sam now wants to work part-time again which I fully support and like I'm doing everything I can to kind of help her with that yeah but like I've now got to kind of take a step back from everything that I've grown and built up over the last year or so yeah and because Mm. it's work that is really important to me Mm. but that's that's just life (laughs) yeah you know it's ebb and flow and um but there's also part of me because this last year has been so busy I'm really looking forward to just taking a step back and doing more, yeah, being able to do more school runs and more, you know, looking after our son when he's not in nursery in the morning. Yeah. And, and sat, out of that and, could come some real, like, new, kind of new ideas, a fresh yeah. take on everything. Yeah. Exactly, because I wrote f- my first book on on my days off with my with Eli. That How was did when you I got do that? To, well, <laughs> yeah, incredible. I got the book deal when I was working three days a week and I used to write when Eli had his naps in the day and he only wow. napped for like 45 minutes, like twice, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. Yeah. But when it's amazing, I think, for productivity Yeah. in a way, it's like literally put him down for a nap, go upstairs to the attic, turn on the laptop like just write you know that you've only got that window yeah. there's going to be no other time I definitely feel like I've become so much more productive since having children what mm. I can get done in a day is incredible if I look back at I don't know what I did with my time previously yeah yeah um so yeah I, it was just it was short bursts of productivity he wake up turn laptop off and then literally next day come back to it read it and and it actually worked it worked really well yeah um yeah so amazing yeah um in an ideal world what will your children have learned from you with regards to looking after their own mental health as adults when they grow up i would say what they 
will learn from me is that you should, in just a normal everyday way, just check in with how you're feeling and talk about how you're feeling. Mm. Because I think what that does is just it is it's just like a natural pressure valve on on any stress and pressure you're under. And you're just constantly just like psh, just letting out some pressure every day. Mm. When you when you bottle it up, that's when it it becomes overwhelming. So. Yeah, check in with how you're feeling, uh, talk about it, but also learn lots of different... I think physical activity is one of the keys to managing stress and mental health. So have a variety of ways that you enjoy moving your bodies to help you relieve stress. So like I said to you before we Mm. started recording, I'd literally just had a 20-minute wrestle on the trampoline with my two boys... Yeah, that's so wonderful. Yeah, I genuinely think, especially for our five-year-old, I genuinely think that helps him regulate his emotions after a day at school. Yeah. Like, he really... Like, sometimes he, you know, he's a bit too aggressive, but that's okay that we then manage that. Like, Eli, that was a bit too hard. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, you know, it's that's him. I I think I'm helping teach him, like, this is a good way of getting some of that pent-up frustration from the day out. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's physical and it's and it's touch. We're getting to like touch and wrestle around. Yeah. So yeah. Amazing. And um, what next for you? I know you've talked about scaling back a bit. Have you got any kind of big projects in mind for the future? Yeah, I think I I was approached by my first publisher, Bloomsbury, to to potentially write a children's version of my first book. Ah. And and that idea really excites me to yeah. write yeah, a child kind of parent facing book. And I've I've written a, a book proposal, I've written the first chapter and yeah, I if I scale back things kind of September onwards, actually that's what excites me. I'll have a bit more time, like you said, to think about ideas for that book and yeah. so that's that's the one thing that is on my mind that thinks yeah I'd love to get stuck into that oh I'll be really excited to to see that eventually yeah. when it comes out brilliant oh well Adrian thank you so much for talking to me it's been really great I've I could uh, like I say could talk to you for hours um, and thank you for yeah, everything that you you do for well-being it's just it's brilliant kind of seeing everything you get up to and you've taught me so much so thank you Cool. Thanks so much for having me and um, yeah, look forward to when this comes out. Yeah, thank you. It was so warming to hear Adrian talk openly about family life and his journey with mental health. Sometimes we can feel that people who devote their life to well-being somehow manage to escape these feelings of anxiety, depression and low mood. So to hear somebody from this arena talk about their own struggles with thoughts, feelings and emotions can be extremely comforting. If you want to find out more about Adrian and all the wonderful things he is doing for wellbeing and education, you can discover more at teachhappy.co.uk. And just to finally remind all listeners that if you need support with how you have been feeling, please seek advice. I have put several websites on the episode summary. Thanks for listening to this special edition of the Mindfulness for Learning podcast and see you next time.